This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. It is the Royal Blue Podcast live. It is the post Fulham show, and we've got plenty to get off our chest after last night. I'm Ian Crow, and I'm sat next to Connor O'Neill. Connor, how's the mood? Pretty dire, isn't it? I think it's the best way to describe it. But everyone's a bit flat, a little bit gutted. But I think everyone's kicking themselves, and we'll get into why they're kicking themselves very shortly. But yeah, I think uh, I like that. We had a lot of high expectations for perhaps in the end the way we all thought it was going to, and everyone get up this morning had that little bit of a perhaps not to spring in the step that we all thought they might have had when we recorded the Robley podcast on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, and you know, like you say, we are going to get into it, delve into exactly what happened and what should have happened. But today it could have been and it should have been, you know, so much better. It should have been, yeah. It really could have been, couldn't it? I mean, you know, Everton were tantalising close to get to Wembley. Two games was all it, you know, was all was stood in the way. They got past Fulham last night. They didn't. It was another night, I think, where, you know, it was another missed opportunity, another one, another night where Everton didn't grasp what was in front of them, I think is the best way to describe it. And there's been too many of them over recent years. And I think, you know, all the good work, all the good, you know, momentum and build and you know, thing that's been built up in recent weeks, which should probably still remain, kind of felt like I come to a bit of a crusher end last night and uh, you know, it ends in the most heartbreaking way possible uh, with a penalty shootout defeat. But I think I'm gonna get into it. I think over the course of ninety minutes effort we're nowhere near good enough and they certainly were nowhere near with the levels that we've seen them be in recent weeks either. Um you think of the performance last night compared to the one at Burnley on Saturday and it was levels apart for all the wrong reasons. Um, so yeah, it was a, a tough night I think because I think something so close but yeah, it remains so far away now. Yeah, absolutely. As mentioned, we are live. We are live on Facebook. We are live on YouTube. So please submit your questions and get them in, in the comments section. I'll put them to Connor and we'll try and get through as many as possible. Um, Connor, we might as well obviously get into it. We've just touched upon it a little bit there, but first point I wanted to make, obviously, the team selection came in. Um, you know, we've had injuries, we've had suspensions. You know, last night seemed like the injuries as such still was playing a bit of a part because it was a bit of a makeshift defence. Um, players clearly looked tired, a bit leggy. Um, so just, you know, Dice's team selection to start off with. Did he get it right? Did he get it wrong? I think... What he'd done was what everyone would have done. I think a little bit. I think my, I have to say, my team sele- selection. What we do with the echo, I had Keane dropping out, Godfrey moving to left back, and Bradford coming at centre back, uh, just because I thought Brown Godfrey played a lot more at left back. Obviously, under Carlo Ancelotti, he was become a bit of a permanent position for a short while. Yeah. So I thought he perhaps would have got the nod to left back. He didn't. Bradford went there instead, and you know I thought Bradford was one of the better players last night, even at left back. I think, you know, certainly the, the, the moment in the first half where Tarkovsky. No, Kelsey give the ball away. It looked like Harry Wilson was going to get in, yeah. but Bradford's turn of pace got Everton out of danger. And, you know, the only red mark and I wrote this in my analysis was that he didn't score at the back post when he was going on the end of Jack Harrison's yeah. inch perfect cross. I thought he was superb. So I think in that respect you can't knock Sean Dyche because you could argue and say, you know, Bradford was an inspired decision to go left back. I thought Michael Keane done really well as well centre half. I know he got booked for a challenge which I think was was harsh. I don't think it was a foul or a, a booking, but I thought he was solid all night. You know. Unfortunately, to turn the ball into his own net, but I think it was one of them. He couldn't have done anything about it, and you know he certainly was was nowhere near Everton's worst performer. Adrissa Gay coming in for outside the corner just seemed like the natural one. You know, it was nothing really. It was always going to be, I think, to call to call out uh, Adrissa Gay in. So again, you know, you can't have any complaints there. And I just thought it was a night where Everton really didn't get going. It was nothing to do with team selection. It was just a night where they didn't really get going, and and everything felt so flat, so quick. And I mean, I wrote this again in my analysis where. I, I times it's 15 minutes in, Tarkovsky misplaced a pass out of play and the groans started and then groans Kevin. There was a, I think there was a spell towards the end of the first half where Everton got back in, pressed a little bit, up the ante. I think, you know, Bramford goes close with the header, McLean has a shot over. The crowd were up on their feet, kind of trying to get behind the team. And then the next time we saw that was obviously when Beto equalised and I think everyone thought, you know, there's a real chance here, we might get one more chance. Yeah. But apart from them two moments, the groans just kind of grew and grew and I think the frustration showed and I think, it was one of them nights where it was frustration in the stands, frustration on the sidelines, and frustration on the pitch. And I don't think team selection had anything to do with that. I just think Everton didn't get going. And I think we saw the limitations that this squad still has um, in terms of being able to break a team down and actually take the game to an opposition. And I think that was clear for all to see. I mean, the first couple of minutes when we set up and obviously when the team selection came in, for me, it looked like we were going to go five at the back. Mm. Um, you know, very similar to what we did 
with with against Burnley, which you know kind of kind of worked. And then obviously as you know the match went on, you know within you know the, the first five ten minutes, it obviously it was like four at the back. Now I know you know you you praised Brantley there, and, and this is by any means I'm not I'm not slagging him off, but I felt like you could clearly see that he wasn't comfortable on that left hand side as in moving forward. I don't know if you agree with that. I I think he had a great game defensively, but I think maybe we were missing something down that left hand side that Michalenko probably could have given us where if Brantwaite was playing centre back it would have been a more cohesive defensive unit than what we we already had. Yeah, but I think that was always going to be expected, wasn't it? I think that you know when that's what happens when you naturally play someone out yeah. there who doesn't normally play out there. I think Everton obviously been a bit humstruck as well, haven't they, in terms of, you know, Mikalenko and Young being out at the same time because you suspect that had Ashley Young been fit he would have gone and played left back last night and you know Bradford would have been played in the half defence alongside James Tarkovsky but Sean Dice didn't have that luxury at his disposal I, I kind of get what he's saying but I thought even so I still thought Bradford done quite well um, I think that the, the five at the back argument is one that is going to be made if Everton doesn't go Everton's way it didn't yeah. go Everton's way I think if we'd have won last no, if Everton would have Gone and got another like, goal after better equalise. I don't think any of us would have been sitting there still talking about no. you know, five at the back. You know, we should have done this, we should have done that. It's it's the classic in hindsight, everything's great, isn't it? And everything works out well. That wasn't be the case. I had no qualms about Dyche playing four at the back with Brown at left back. I think he's arguably the best player at the football club, the most you know comfortable, natural person to be probably going and do a job there. Um, so I, I think that that. The suggestion, I think, before the game was that it was going to be a five. But if you actually watch the warm-up, they'd done a drill in the corner where it was a four of them in a line, which I think gave it away that they were going to, they were going to play a flat-back four, essentially. Yeah. Um, but I can see why some people now would say you should have maybe played a three. Because I think, actually, Nathan Patterson's better. said on Monday Monday's show, I think Nathan Patterson is better as a, a wing-back than he's a right-back. Yeah. Um, I think it gives him a little bit more freedom and ability. But, yeah, I think it's just one of them, isn't it, with formation set up. If Everton win, no one, no one asks these questions, and no one even, you know, would dare to care. Should we say one bad result, and you know, the the scrutiny comes out, doesn't it? And everyone gets the the fine lines. Well, it is our job to over over analyze. Oh, of course, and we do like to over analyze. You know? Yeah, we do. I mean, just just sticking with that then, and I don't want to like like go keep going on about the defense, and because we, you know, Fulham Fulham wing, great. I thought they were, you know, they passed the ball around around well, but they didn't. They weren't really threatening. But this is not having to go at any individuals, but I just felt like as a defensive. Oh, we in the over the past couple of weeks and months, you could tell we we've been a, a solid defensive, cohesive unit, and I just felt like that was definitely not there in the first, you know, at, at least in the first half. I, yeah, I felt that. I, I I thought I actually think a lot of this is to do with Decore's absence. Okay, because I think the midfield looked lost. I think just a guy, James Garner and Hamadou Anana, are three very good players but not one of them has got the ability to put the core does to, like, to play with Calvert-Lewin and to get everyone up the pitch. Yeah. I think what we saw last night was essentially just, just a guy who wants to sit in to the back four. O'Nana was pretty much alongside him for large parts, I thought. And then James Garner's kind of floating in between, but not playing as a number 10. Yeah. Not being able to get on the ball and make things happen, just kind of floating around and trying to pick up second balls. Yeah. And I think what, what happened last night, I thought from a perspective, was that Everton... In terms of if Decore plays, he gets them up the pitch because he goes and squeezes with Calvert Lewin, which means that Onana and James Garner have got to squeeze up the pitch, which means the back four have to squeeze up the pitch because they don't want to leave the gaps in behind. We didn't see that last night because I think Adrissa Guy and Onana were too deep. Garner was just kind of chasing shadows in the middle of the park and trying to make things happen. And Calvert Lewin was up, was up top, frustrated by him, feeding off scraps. So I think where you're coming from is right in terms of we didn't look comprehensive go hit go defensive co- cohesion but I think Decore's absence has a lot to do with that because I think we saw last night it's, it's the classic case with Decore of you don't know what you've got until it's not there yeah. and I think what we saw last night is that he's an absolutely fundamental part of everything that's going to be good about Everton this season and his pace energy makes a massive difference in getting everyone 20-25 yards up the pitch and on the flip side of that and I've, I've actually wrote this for the, to, to, to follow online today in tomorrow's paper I think that's where O'Nana's got to do more and he's got to be the one who takes the game by the scruff of the next gets everyone 20 yards up the pitch. I think sometimes he just settles to kind of play the easy the easy way, should we say, and go and play alongside just a guy. Yeah. But he's got to take the control and, and take take demands and say, right, we're moving 20 yards up the pitch and we're going to get up. I don't think that happened last night and I think I haven't paid the consequence of that because they didn't get up the pitch as freely and as comfortably as probably what they have done in recent weeks. When you look at the goal against Newcastle, for instance, the two goals that comes because Everton are high up the pitch, ready to pounce on mistakes by Newcastle in the final in their final third. Yeah. 
last night, I don't think the fullbacks of Fulham got closed down anywhere in the United States against Newcastle. And if anything, it just invited the pressure because there was pockets of space and to pick the ball off and retain possession. I'm glad you brought the Correa up because, you know, in my notes and my questions, I have got stuff that I wanted to bring up. So, you know, you've kind of touched upon it a little bit, but I'll, I'll go into it a little bit more, for, you know, further into the podcast. Before we do, just kind of, you know, the last um, last points on the defence. And I'm, again, I just I just think we've been so defensively solid over the past couple of weeks and months that I just I was a little bit disappointed in in how you know you know obviously we did we only conceded one goal it was an own goal um, it obviously it's come from Michael Keane I mean he just he just can't catch a break sometimes at the moment I know <laughs> fantastic goal against Burnley but of, of his defensive duties you know whether you just describe it as a mistake as an own goal I'm not saying it is a mistake it's it's very unlucky but like I say. He just can't catch a break sometimes mm-hmm. in the heart of that defence. Yeah, I mean, it's so unfortunate. So unfortunate. I yeah. mean, I don't think he really could have done anything last night. I actually thought, to be fair, for the goal, Nathan Patterson didn't cover himself in glory because I think Robinson goes past him far too easily and gets, is able to get into a position where he can cause damage. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's one of them, isn't it? If Keane leaves it and someone taps it in, everyone moans at him. If he goes for it, it what happens happens. People moan him. You can't, you can't win either way, can you? But what I will say is I think you've got to give him enormous credit because... No matter what gets thrown at him, what people say, what people think, he just keeps coming, dusts himself back and comes again. And I think well, last night, no, he obviously the goal, I don't until the goal, he hadn't put a foot wrong. And after the gate, after the goal, he didn't put a foot wrong. He didn't let it affect him. His head didn't go. He, you know, he picked himself up. And let's face it, it's the best penalty in the shoes house. You know, and again, yeah. <laughs> again, nerves of steel because I think, you know, ironic, isn't it? You know, you look at the penalties and, when you see my Hakeem walking towards the penalty spot as number three, I think it was, certainly in the press box, everyone's looking around going, <laughs> why are they sending the centre-back forward? And then he produces a penalty that you think, you know, Alan Shearer would have been proud of back in the day, you know, and he's got nerves to steal that and you've got to give him enormous credit for that because he's been through so much. I mean, on the end of, you know, sometimes justify criticism, sometimes perhaps it's gone over the top, but he just keeps picking himself up and dusting himself down and, you know, Hats off to the lad because he just keeps coming back. And you can't ask for more, can you? I mean, I made reference to this in the pod that we both did against the pre-Fulham one, wasn't it? He's not a centre-back. He's, he's a centre-forward and that penalty was the best penalty of the shootout. Proved it for me. Yeah, I mean... He if, needs to transition if, 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 like, centre-forward. If, if he was an 18-year-old kid coming through, <laughs> you'd be saying you need to get yourself out of the pitch because you, you've got, you know unbelievable finishing ability yeah. probably come a little bit to his career now to move forward but yeah and, and like I say when when he was walking towards the spot I think everyone in the ground everyone in the press box where I was sat was kind of open going hey oh hey oh Keen, take the penalty number three you know like what is going on and yeah you know and, and you're thinking well he's probably going to smash this as hard as he can put it down the middle but no he perfectly placed it and knew exactly what he was doing and, and, and walked back with ease to say like what we was all worried about yeah. lads you know I had this whole under control and yeah, like I said, I just I think he deserves enormous credit because, you know, for what he's been through and where he is now, I think, you know, hats off to the lad and, you know, you can't help but want him to succeed, I think, because he's shown a perfect attitude. You know, he, he doesn't moan, doesn't groan, you know, by, by all accounts when people speak, speak to a Finnish farm, he's the moral pro, you know. And I think, you know, <laughs> the last two games he's took his chance, he's come in and done really, really well. And I don't, probably for him, it's just unfortunate that, you know, he's up against now probably England's best young promising centre-back in Janet Bramfwaite. Uh, so I think Darkoski's obviously showing given his importance in the leadership role in which Dice sees. But, you know, it's just unfortunate for Keane that there's a young up-and-coming star in Janet Bramfwaite ahead of him who is destined for the very, very top. But I think any other year, Keane probably would have been, you know, right pushing on the door now for a regular place. And you think even think back up to Aston Villa at the start of the season when he played. And I think we can all say he had a torrid afternoon at Villa Park, but he just, he's just bounced back and, you know, hats off to the lad. Are we still on course for the Michael Keane statue at Bromley Moor? If that penalty would have got Everton through last night, very possibly, but unfortunately for him, Amadou Aran had other ideas. Okay. Um, well, we're getting questions coming in now. I can see it on my laptop here. So keep sending them in and I'm going to come to them very soon. But before we carry on, Connor, you kind of touched upon it a little bit and my friends who I was sat next to in the lower Gladys um, during the game last night, very early on in the game, what what did, what did you make of the atmosphere? Because we we kind of both said it's a bit flat, and you've already said flat. But we we said this doesn't feel like a a normal Everton 
cup tie at Goodson Park under the lights. And it's not like having a go with the fans. I don't know whether there's a bit of nerves or I don't know. It just didn't seem like like the nor the normal Everton. Do you know what I mean at the time? Yeah, yeah. It, it was strange, wasn't it? Because you know, perhaps I've been I was over, guilty of over probably egging this maybe a little bit. But I thought it was going to be like you know. Classic goes under the right. It's under the right. It's going to be rock on the roof. Going to come off. Yeah. And I think, with all due respect, it starts with that best intention. I think before the game yeah. and stuff like that. That that was really kind of a, a a big best intention. I think ultimately in the end, there was just nothing to get behind on the pitch. Was it? It was flat on the pitch. You know, it was disjointed. It was a tough. It was a tough. I mean, it was a tough watch in general. I mean, I know you shouldn't say this, but. I think back to last season when Everton played Man City towards the end of the season. And, you know, that day Everton struggled because they were playing Man City. But some of the football City played was absolutely superb. And I remember saying afterwards to, to one of the, our colleagues in the national press, you know, it was a joy to watch Gundogan there. And you probably shouldn't say stuff like that, but yeah. you come away thinking that was a magical. He was absolutely, he scored a worldy free kick, set one up and just absolutely, you know, ran the game from the middle of the pitch. Mm-hmm. You didn't have that last night. It wasn't like you sat there in awe of someone on the pitch going like, my God, you know what a player he is, or you know what was some performance. I thought Fulham was poor as ever at the time, yeah, yeah. you know. And I think that was the thing. It just it didn't have that feel, did it? And I think I also think as well, expectations changed. And I wrote, I wrote this again this morning that you know I think the groans come because the standards have been set so high in, in recent weeks or recent months certainly. And I think you know people expected a lot more last night when they weren't quite seeing that. It was they struggled to get behind what they were seeing, you know what I mean? And I think well, it just fizzled out a little bit before it really got going. You, so that's what I was going to say. Do you think we know the majority of Everton fans are like quite knowledgeable on football? And did you think, not just because of the setup, but you know, 10 minutes in, we knew this wasn't the normal Everton from the past, you know, four games? Did you think they were kind of predicting and preempting kind of what was to come? And it was, it was going to be a tough night, it wasn't just going to be a walkover? Yeah, I, I think people ultimately knew, didn't they, that? It was going to become a struggle. It wasn't going to be pretty, and if Everton did get through, it was going to be in a, probably an ugly, unvintage way. If, if, that, if that's the right way to say it, so I think everyone knew it was going to become a struggle, and it did become a struggle. And I think it was just one of them nights, wasn't it, where there was very little to get behind on the pitch, and that reflected in the stands. And it should become a, like I said earlier, a real night of frustration. I think is the best way to describe it more than anything. And you know, y- you've got to get behind something. Some you've got to be given something to get behind. I don't think last night Everton give their fans enough to get behind. Yeah. And I think that's obviously why it felt so flat and perhaps didn't quite reach the levels that we thought it was going to reach before the game. But I think, it, don't get me wrong, if we were going the other way and Everton would have scored within five minutes, I think Goodson would have been absolutely rocking yeah. and the roof would have come off. And I thought it did come off a little bit when Bessel got winning because I think everyone thought, this is it now, we're going to... And I certainly said I was next to Joe Thomas in the press box and, you know, I certainly thought... Everton were going to get another chance after that goal, but it was quite disappointing that they didn't manage to carve out an opening. I thought we'd get one more chance, but it wasn't to be. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, so we'll quickly just change a little bit and run through some questions. Dave Dempsey kind of said on Facebook, how come there wasn't a half hour extra time before the penalties? That is basically because the rules changed a couple of years ago. Um, extra time was taken out by the Football League and, and it was went straight to penalties, uh, which I have to say, maybe people might disagree, so I thought 30 minutes might have been good. From a print production deadline perspective, from our point of view, <laughs> it was one of the best things that ever happened because 30 minutes of extra time just adds to the pressure and the stress. So, yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I can't understand why they just go straight to penalties. Yeah, I thought it was better. I certainly think that sometimes you, you, you just because there's been games, hasn't it, where they play 30 minutes next time, but everyone knows it's destined for penalties yeah. and both sides are dead on their feet and stuff like that. So, yeah, the rules changed a couple of years ago and it's straight to penalties now. Okay. Um, it's just Lewis on YouTube has said or asked, do you think Beto was pushing for a start over Dominic Carver-Lewin? Feels like Dom- Dominic really looks like he needs a goal at the, this moment. Yeah, I think he does need a goal. I think he... he He's a centre forward who craves goals. I've been forced to speak to, to Dominic Calvert Lewin quite a few times. Um and he loves scoring for goals. <laughs> it's his pride and joy scoring goals. So this run will, will hurt. I think on Monday we spoke about, you know, his overall gameplay and stuff like that. But yeah. Dominic Calvert Lewin still very much classes himself as a number nine and someone who wants to score goals. You know, he hasn't done that for the last couple of weeks. I think Beto is pushing for a start. I thought last night Calvert Lewin looked tired. I didn't yeah. think he looked a there's a moment for me in, in the second half, and it wasn't long actually before he came off where 
I think the ball got knocked down the line and he kind of went clean through him and Leno come running out. Yeah. And you, you, yeah. it, was one, it was one of them moments yeah. where you're thinking, you know, and it's probably a very old 80s, 90s style way of looking at it, but, you know, take the goalie in the ball out and you've got an open, you know, you've got an open goal to go at. And Calvert-Loon backed off and allowed Beto, Beto to clear, hey, Leno to clear, sorry. And it wasn't long after that that Sean Dyche kind of turned away in frustration, spoke to the bench, next thing Beto had the nod yeah. to come on. And I felt like a bit of a moment where, I don't know, maybe, maybe the injuries are playing on his mind or, you know, he's just a little bit fatigued, a little bit tired and he, you know, he didn't quite have the energy to get there. But it was one of them moments where you're thinking, just go take the ball on the man there and you've got a clean shot on goal. You know, you've got a real chance and it was it, it didn't quite fall for him. But I thought last night he was feeding off scraps for large parts of the game. Yeah. And I think we've seen with Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin is a very, very good goal scorer if you get the ball to him in the right areas. He's not going to create goals out of nothing himself. And the way Everton played last night, and like I said earlier, with the gaps in the between the midfield and him, you can't be expecting to take the ball 25 yards from goal, beat three men and put it in the top corner. Well, he's you not know, messy, is he? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, last night there were far too many times where he was isolating, he's feeding off scraps, he's having to chase, you know, chase lost causes. So I just thought, you know, pacing last night, he, he was struggled because he's feeding off scraps and, you know, but I do think Beto always looked push for a start because I thought the weekend he come on, he done really, really well. Hey, sorry, last night he come on, he done really, really well. Put himself about, got himself a goal, and you know, again, very similar. You know, if if Everton went on penalties, he's probably the hero today, and you know, everyone's looking at it going, you know, that goal, you know, could send us to Wembley type thing. And so I, I think I I've long felt that in this run of games to come now, there will be one where Beto will start over Calvert Lewin. Because I just don't see how Sean Dyche will play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday and play Calvert-Lewin in all three of the games. Because um, I think he's going to have to rotate and freshen up. And I thought I haven't looked tired last night in general anyway. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this weekend Beto is given the nod over Calvert-Lewin to start against Tottenham. But I think it will hurt Tom Ray's not on this run of goals. I mean, it was quite interesting actually when I first was to James Garner after Everton beat Bournemouth. I think Calvert-Lewin was on a run of six goals in six games at the time. And he missed two chances and, and he's... James Garner actually has himself today. I think in the end he was trying too hard because he's desperate to score goals. Yeah, yeah. So I think that you know that just gives an insight into how he how he approaches games and what he wants to do. And yeah, it just wasn't his night, but it wasn't his size night as well. I think it's the big thing. It wasn't just him who, who struggled. Do you think he's putting too much pressure on himself as well? Because you know we've spoke quite regularly over the past couple of weeks in the podcast how you know great it is that the, the goals are being spread around the team and that the pressure has kind of been taken off Carvert-Lewin from not scoring goals. But we, we always say, and I, like everyone said that the way we play, Carvert-Lewin is pivotal to it. So, you know, everyone keeps going, oh, he, he needs a goal. But I, I've never heard, I haven't heard too much from the fans on Carvert-Lewin to say, get him off the team because we know how pivotal he is to how, how we play. So he must be putting that pressure on himself, surely. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because... I think you look at the difference he makes when he plays to when he doesn't play. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit different now because obviously Beto was there, whereas, you know, last season it was Neil Mopay who had to come in and replace Carvalho and it was an ominous task for him. Um, they, there's so much reliance on him that you can't help but think having a better team with a minute yeah. than, than without a minute. And I think, but, just, but, uh, I think Beto, although hopefully he's going to be a goal scorer, he doesn't do the job that Carvalho does. No. And he's, he's obviously improving in the Premier League, whereas Carvalho is. is Proven a try and tested, and you know it was only a couple of years ago he was linked to it. You know, a fifty million move to, to Arsenal before the injuries yeah. took hold. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting actually when you speak to Carvalho. You know, I spoke to him after this Lisbon and Lisbon game this summer, and he was talking about you know coming back from injury and the time he'd been given and stuff like that. And he actually he actually said himself, you know, I know when I when I play play, it's all on me. You know, I am the only centre forward at the club. There's a lot of expectation around me. I've got to put a shift in. I've got to try and score. I've got to hold the ball up. He basically was embracing what is asked of him. But when you think of what is asked of him, it's a lot to take on your shoulders, you know. And yeah. you think of last season, you know, Everton were fighting relegation. And let's face it, everyone was saying, well, when Calvert-Lewin gets back fit, it'll be okay. Now, if you're Calvert-Lewin sitting there thinking, well, hang on, you can't just put all this on me. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna come back and score you two can. goals every game <laughs> and keep the club up, you know what I mean? But obviously, he played a massive role in, in helping that happen. So, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think I don't, people are never going to call for score to the team because I think they see how valuable he is when he's not in. Like, like I said, it's like Decore, isn't it? You don't know what you've got till it's not there. Yeah. And perhaps Dominic Cal- when Dominic Calvert-Lewin has a bit, it's been shown and it's been noticed. So that there's, there's always that thing. But I think now with Beto, perhaps this weekend it might be time to do something a little bit fresher and give, give Calvert-Lewin a break and, and let Beto have a run. So, 
are we in real danger of running certain players into the ground then? Obviously, Carver-Lewin is one that we spoke about, but McNeil, I don't think he had a bad game as such, but I just think he looked so tired last night and to the point where, you know, some of his passes and crosses were just, you know, you might as well not done them because they weren't, weren't getting anywhere. Harrison, is, again, is another one. He was substituted as well. So there's a, a lot of these key players are just playing game after game and not even like coming off the pitch, really, to staying on for the full 90. Yeah, I think we are in danger of running, running this side into the ground a little bit with the games we've had to play and the games that we've played so far. I think the big problem is Everton don't have a massive squad, do they? They don't have a squad that's full of depth. Um, and when the fixtures start coming, they come fast like they have done and, and do over Christmas, it starts to take a toll. And I think that was always the worry with this Everton side is that put the best 11 out there on paper, fit and firing, they're comfortably a mid-table team. One or two injuries and suspensions against the wrong opposition and things get tough. Yeah. Um, I think on Saturday, we were quite fortunate that Burnley were there for the taking and we, we, you know, we were able to get away with the luxury of, you know, when the quarter comes off in a 2 0 lead, so about managing the game. Yeah. You know, Brantford doesn't play, but King and McCarthy can come back in and, and, and do, you know, enough. This weekend, it might be different if we've got one or two knocks because Tottenham are a really good team. City comes to Goodison, it'll be on Wednesday. Another great team, one or two missing, it shows. So I think the, the problem Sean Dyche got, he just doesn't have the, you know, the players at his disposal to make changes and restings, and players have just got to go again and go again and go again. It's tough. And I think, you know, one thing I will say we're on this is probably time for patience and if players do start having bad games and not looking 100% I think they've got to be given benefits out that should be a tough run of games and you've got to but the, the good thing is you've got to look at the work that's been done last night was a major disappointment I think here for a while especially if you know Fulham go and get Middlesbrough tonight in the draw for the, the final four because then it, it really does become an opportunity because how many times are you going to get to a, the last four of a semi-final and draw a championship club yeah. probably not very often but you think of the four games that we've just We've just won the games that we won prior to the Manchester United defeat. There's been a lot of hard work done, and you know the bounce back has been really strong, and having to put themselves in a good position. So I think there's plus to negatives, but I do think you know there's there's a point now where there's going to be games where we don't look at our best, and the players look a little bit tired. And I think finally you've got to have patience and, and accept that that's just the way it is when you haven't got a massive squad. Yeah. Did any Fulham players stand out for you last night then? I thought Harrison Reed done quite well. Yeah. I thought, uh, ironically, Everton were, were interested in taking him on loan or, or signing him on Jan- uh, transfer deadline day back in the summer. They made an inquiry to Fulham, but Fulham had no no interest in letting him go. Uh, I thought Tosin had a day the centre-back done really well for them, to be fair. Um, and obviously, you know, kept his composure to finish from the spot. But I thought it was a poor game in general, wasn't it? Yeah. Lack, that lacked any real quality. Um, and then I, I think, you know, I think if, if you put them two sides on paper, there's, there's not much between the two of them, really. What did you make of Obi's performance? First time back, it was the first time back, little first, first time, yeah. Um, and his reception as well, booed. I thought he got cheers, though, didn't he? When his name got read out, he, got, he was booed he, in the lower gladders. He got, he got cheers. Uh, there was a warm of applause. I think Stress was describing the main stand when his name was read out where I was sat. <laughs> I thought his performance was okay, wasn't it? I thought it was a very out of performance. He ran rounds, yeah. got stuck in. <laughs> Nearly scored a worldie, which probably would have been befitting of his, of his yeah, return. Where I think yeah. for Mace to save in the second half. Good save, um, but apart from that, it was, yeah, it was just very. It was a very Alex Orby performance, which illustrates that nothing much has changed since he, since he left Everton for Fulham. The Fulham fans seem to have taken to him, though. Well, I think the thing with Orby is, and this is why Everton fans end up taking tunes in towards the end, is when he just puts a shift in and runs around and does all he can. Yeah, you can't help but appreciate what he's doing because that's the minimum you want to see. And you know, like Everton fans have experienced over recent years, that isn't always the case. So. You know, I think you see why Fulham fans are taking a shine to him because you know he, he just put a shift in and tries to make things happen. They don't always come off, but yeah, I thought it was just a very Alakrobi performance. We've already touched upon it, but I just kind of it was it was in me notes to talk about it now. So one thing that we did miss was obviously Decore. So we need him back on that side as soon as possible. And Decore, who's been crowned Everton fans Footballer of the Year, yeah, twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give Blue Sports the chance to vote and have their say on who. They wanted to be named Football of the Year. Myself and Joe Thomas put that shortlist together. So mm-hmm. if anyone's got any complaints, send them to Joe, <laughs> not me. <laughs> um, but he's come out on top. Obviously, the final four was himself, Jordan Pickford, Jared Brownfield, and Dwight McNeil. Jared Brownfield perhaps would be a surprise one given the actual he started playing forever in August. But I just think he's been that good. He yeah. was he was he was my pick. I think let's put it this way uh, as chairman of the Jared Brownfield fan club. Um, but yeah, I think Decore was always going to come out on top, wasn't he? Because you look at the calendar and actually I wrote this here when we we done the piece to say he'd been crowned and, you know he actually starts January by being frozen out by Frank Lampard mm-hmm. um, you know 
left out the squad for the game at West Ham. Looked like he was going to leave the football club at one point. Obviously, Frank Lampard gets sacked. Sean Dyche brings him back in from the cold. Next thing you know, he's become this goal-scoring midfielder <clears throat> on a one-man mission to keep Everton in the Premier League. Scores twice at the Amex as Everton beat Brighton 5-1 in probably the results of the season. Yeah. You know, Certainly the most unexpected results of the season. And I think every Everton fan got to agree that was the most unexpected results of the yeah. season. Then, obviously, you know, a goal that will be long remembered for years to come. The one against Bournemouth on the final day. And then the big question was whether he could take that into this season and carry on that form. And he's certainly done that. He's been absolutely superb. He's got better. Obviously, being rewarded now with a new contract stayed the club a little bit longer. You know, obviously, another big boost is that he's not going to go and play in the African Cup of Nations for Mali. He's yeah. decided to stay. Let's hope he stays injury free. He's, he's staying in Everton, which is ironic, isn't it? When you think they could lose him, and now, you know, <laughs> he says he doesn't want to go and now he does get injured. Um, but yeah, I think he's been absolutely superb, hasn't he? And I wrote this again, you know, in my analysis that the biggest compliment you can pay him is that Everton are a better team with a minute, with a minute than without him. Yeah. And I think that was on show last night. I mean, a lot of, um, you know, over the past, you know, the, since the seasons began, there's been, a, you know, whether you see this as fair or not, criticism over Dice's subs or lack of subs. And we've obviously mentioned, you know, he hasn't got much options off the bench, but, you know, he did make one specific sub yesterday. That changed the game in our favour. Unfortunately, obviously, did the final result didn't go our way, but Beto came off for Carvert-Lewin and had a, an immediate impact with the goal. Yeah, I think it was one that we wasn't surprised to see. I think, you know, Beto being out warming up for a while. And it was clearly Sean Dice just thinking to bring him off the bench. I, I thought it was one that made sense. I think, I, I, I mean, you can't look too much into it. We don't have that little moment with Leno. Perhaps confirmed in Sean Dice's mind that it was time to freshen things up, freshen things up top. Um, but I just thought, you know, that's what Beto's there for. That's why you have two centre-forwards. If one you know, perhaps isn't at the races or you need that little bit of injection or something different, you bring him on and you give him a chance. Yeah. Dan Juma got a chance last night off the bench. I thought he's done really well. Yeah. Um, you know, because he'd become a bit of a forgotten man, if I'm being honest. You know, I thought he looked sharp. You know, he looked. as he had that, you know, he was in the team, wasn't he? He dropped out against Brentford, didn't really get a look in. Come back in against uh, Burnley in the League Cup, ironically, in the, the previous rounds. And, I thought it was pretty poor that night, if I'm being honest. You know, again, it's all about moments, isn't it? And I remember like one night that night he, he tried to flick and the the ball hit the inside of his leg and bounced the other way, and you're just thinking, not your night. And if you want to send the right message to your manager, I don't think attempting flicks on the halfway line is the right way to go. But I would say obviously, you know, we all saw last night he showed a little bit of a little bit of class, I think it's safe to say. He done really well for the goal, didn't he? It was his cross into yeah. the box that, you know, and I think he got himself in a good few positions. So I thought last night the subs were quite well. I think they both had positive impacts on the game. And, you know, it's tough, isn't it? Because, you know, it feels like substitutions, again, it's all in hindsight, isn't it? Because if Sean Dyche bring up throws Dan Juma and better one, they both score or play a role in the next round. No one says anything about the substitutions. No. no one says they're inspired. It's just I think people have got this thing in the mind that Sean Dice doesn't like making changes, doesn't like making substitutions. But I thought last night he got them spot on. I thought at the weekend he got them spot on as well. Against, you know, Burnley, it was the right time to freshen things up when he did. So I think the big thing with Sean Dice well, though, was that a lot is made about the squads and the substitutions, but he doesn't have a lot to choose from. You, know, you can only pick what's on the bench. You know, you look last night, there's Jensen Metcalfs on the bench, there's, you know, a goalkeeper, a centre back, you know, unless you're not changing really changing your centre backs unless an injury happens. So there wasn't a lot to choose from really, and I don't think there's been a lot to choose from this season. I think that perhaps where you Sean Dice just thinking. It's been a bit of speculation over Dan Juma that he's got a bad attitude. I mean that's just speculation and I'm just bringing it into this pod. I definitely think he looked sharp last night. He had that kind of volley. That was just an absolute, you know, if it had gone in, it would have been an absolute worldie. But is there any suggestion, you know, coming out of Everton or like from... from no, not that I'm aware of. I think he, you know, he's done really well. I asked Sean Dyche a while ago actually about, you know, Dan Juma and where he stood and Sean Dyche just basically said, you know, it, it had been tactical basically. You know, he dropped out the team. The team then went on a run of form and, you know, you, you don't change a winning team. You know, it's quite simple, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I think we all agree with that. You know, no, no one joined with a winning run before the 10 points at November international break was saying to, you know, Sean, I've just got to get away to get Dan Juma back in this team. You know, everyone was saying, you've got to just stick with what you're doing. You know, it's clearly working. There's been no indication saying to people I speak to that Dan Juma's got a bad attitude or anything like that. I think that comes from the fact he's had so many clubs. I was going to As say... someone who's so young, yeah. people just presume it, you know, but... You know, but clubs do seem to be wanting to get rid as soon as possible when, when he gets there. Well, Maybe that's unfair, I don't know. I think that is a little bit unfair. I think, I think with Tottenham last year, he was clearly sold the dream of, you know, coming and help us get Champions League football. 
but then realised very quickly that Harry Kane, Son, Richarlison were all ahead of him mm-hmm. and he was probably going to find himself down a pecking order. Then I think he got caught in the madness of his space because obviously they, you know, sacked Antonio Conte, brought in a, a replacement interim, sacked him, <laughs> you know. Then it's only like they may sell, you know, he may sell three managers in a, sport, a short space of time. Um, but he was somewhere ever wanted in the summer, somewhere that they, you know, clearly earmarked to come in after missing out on them last January. Yeah, I don't think there's been any indication that he's got a bad attitude or anything like that. I think he just was unfortunately dropped out of the team. Then things, you know, upturn in form transpired and, you know, he's found himself on the outside looking in. But I think certainly heading into the festive period now and the fact that Sean is going to have to use his squad in the next three games because they come in the space for a week, he sent the perfect message last night that he, he could have a role to play and he could certainly make an impact moving forward. Okay, back to questions then. So, Two Wheel Lucas from YouTube has said, poor refereeing. And Connor, I've got this question in my uh, notes as well. So, any complaints from the referee last night, Graham Scott? I think they're all pretty below par, bang average, aren't they? I think, you know, it just is where it is now, isn't it? I think you, you could get so tired of talking about referees now and how the performance, can't you? That I didn't think it was great, but I've seen a lot worse. I mean, if we'd won the game... No one cares, do we? We'd <laughs> no. We've obviously lost. No. All right, then. Okay, well, to the major talking points of the night, then. So, you know, inevitably what has cost Everton the, um, you know, the victory and a place in the semi-final, the Anana penalty. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You know, I've got my notes here, but you know, for the purpose of of unity, I don't want to pers- personally bash Anana. I don't, I don't want to do that. But I'll be honest with you, Connor, that is up there with one of the worst things I've ever seen an Everton player do. I go to some park on the pitch, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to. It's not a personal attack. I'm just saying, as you know, sure. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not a personal attack. It's not. It's. I do think that is, you know, to it has cost us a place in in the semi final. If, if if he'd gone out there and and put his laces through it and the keeper had saved it or he, he hit it over the bar or hit the, hit the post or whatever. Don't think there'd be, you'd be gossip, but there, there wouldn't be too many complaints. But I do, I mean, it was clear for me there was a, an element of arrogance in his in his, in his his penalty there. Arrogance just the way of the week, isn't it? After very keen Virgil van Dijk, come at, come, come, at me, come at me. So, I, I honestly, I've been amazed by a lot. I've seen a good listen over the years from both as a fan as a journalist. A journalist over the last two years, there's been a lot that's gone on that has amazed me. Last night, though, was right. So, I mean, I just could not believe what he'd done. Um, I have to say, the look, not often journalists are left looking flabbergasted and in disbelief at what at what goes on around them. I looked around the press box <laughs> last night and everyone was just like, oh my word, what has he done? Um, and as for the people around me in the stands, in the main stands, Let's just say there was a lot of foul and abusive language being used in terms of to describe what their emotions were. It's one of them, isn't it? If 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 he does that and then he'll dive the other way and it goes in, you get the oh what a cool composed cucumber. Yeah. The lad's got the lad's got it all, you know, he's got the swagger, he's got this. When it goes as badly wrong as what it did last night, the opposite comes at you and you get it, and obviously people <laughs> rightly take aim. I just could not believe what he'd done. Um I think the the pressured situation, knowing that if you score, your team went off. It was the last four big big opportunity, and he absolutely fluffed his lines. Um, just a guy, I think it's just unfortunate. He's but, a, he's a, he's a, he's gone for the corner, hit the post, and by that point, we're on what was it, penalty number seven of the night. So obviously you're you're in you're on the other end of the scale now in terms of the you know people who don't want to take them, but have got to take them because there's no choice. But on oh, no, being the fifth choice, you know, stepping up, you're thinking. Just put your foot through it, you know. Just put everything you've got behind it. You know, roll, blast it into the back of the net. Do whatever you, you know. Just don't do that. Um, and it was, yeah, it was. I think the stunned silence after it says everything. I think people were in disbelief at what they'd seen. And look, I don't. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because you can't just blame Alan Dunham for the fact that Everton are not in the final four of the Carabao Cup. That is incredibly harsh. Because there's a lot of other factors that didn't really go Everton's way last night. But the fact that he was in that position to send Everton into the semi-finals and he'd done that was a tough pill to swallow. And I think, you know, perhaps today you'll be sitting there thinking, if I had that moment again, I would just put my laces through the ball and smash it as hard as I could. 
I mean, ironically, like you said, suggested before, when Michael Keane stepped up, you were thinking, "Oh no, what are we what are we doing here?" But obviously, smashes at the best penalty of the night, one of the best penalties I've ever seen, to be honest. And then Anana steps up, and you you're probably quite confident in him placing it in the side net either way. And then he goes he goes and does that. I mean, I mean, it wasn't like I mean, it wasn't even like good placement, was it? I mean, no. you watched it, I mean, I, when I was sat in the press box, it was a little bit obscured, so you just saw Leno save it. It was only when I got home and saw the replays of the different angles like you can see it from the I mean, he's not even like placed at the corner. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's two yards, it's two yards extra Leno. I mean, I think Leno could have just stepped to the side and put his foot on it to be fair. He, yeah, yeah, but he hasn't even attempted. If you watch it back, he hasn't really attempted to send the keeper the wrong way either. No. Do you know when uh, Jorginho does it? Yeah. You know he's he's trying to send the keeper the wrong way because that's how he takes the penalty. This is literally just a pass back to the keeper. Yeah. And it was absolutely awful. Now, I don't want to I don't want to dwell too much on it because but it obviously was, you know, it was a, a flashpoint of the night and ultimately that was a ch- that was the chance for Everton to go through with, you know, regardless of whether, you know, we played bad or not, you know, that was the goal. It was there for the taking. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to sell Anana or anything like that or speculate on the future, but you know, he's pro- there's a, probably a good chance that he's going to leave Everton at least within the next year or two you know if an offer comes in for him so he's obviously going to go on to potentially pass his new and be a successful player in his own right because he is a good player does, does he need to do something now on the pitch you know to kind of say sorry for that you know a, a special moment because he's just going to be remembered for that moment now for his Everton yeah. career I mean you just described my my my, my talking points here for them because my talking points based on he had the chance to become a hero and now he's going to yeah, be remembered well, for, all the, for, piece, for, 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 all, for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's probably got a lot of making up to do. But it's one of them in football, isn't it? I think you know, obviously people won't forget that. But you know, if he puts in a man of the match performance on Saturday, I've opened three points. I wouldn't say I'll be forgiven, but I think people, you know, it just is what it is, yeah. isn't it? You know what I mean? I think. You know, it's not the time to to soak or you know be too downhearted. You because Everton have got to pick themselves because they've got bigger they've got bigger games to come. You know, they they can't sit around and mope. You know, they've got big games and yeah, it, but it was one of the moments, wasn't it? Where you think I'm like, you know, I know people say this, but you know, where's the club cast? <laughs> you know, and I was just thinking, you know, how's he done that? Why has he done that? You know, only he knows why he's done it and you know what he was thinking. Um, but you know, certainly I think moving forward. We won't see Amazon on or ever any Everton player attempts as the two lad again in a with a penalty or a penalty shoot out. Yeah. I mean we can't dwell on it too much, and that's why, you know, certainly now, until the end of the season, he's got to put it behind him and he's got to show why he is this, you know, world class player that people potentially see in him. You know, we can't you can't no, you can't just go keep going on about, you know, I know what only happened yesterday, but like I say, I just feel like he's gonna be remembered for it if he doesn't if he doesn't, you know, do something with Everton now, and I'm not saying it needs to be, you know, a special goal. It just, you know, when you're playing, you need to be at your best for that for them 19 minutes. Take control of the game, you know, show everyone why you're going to be this box to box midfielder. Score a couple of goals. That, that's the something. that's the big thing for me from from where on now is like, and, and again, it comes back to like, you know, I remember Everton signed Roberto Martinez, basically compared him to Patrick Vieira and how he plays and stuff like that. Yeah. But for me. He doesn't get, doesn't grab the game by the scruff of the neck, you know. And that's what I was saying here about like He's last too night. Passive. Last night, the core was obviously missing, so he, you know, he lose that kind of ability. That's someone who gets everyone up the pitch because he goes and chases him behind Calvert-Lewin or feeds off Calvert-Lewin. For me, like last night's a, a prime example. O'Ran's got to take control and say, right, we're all going to move up the pitch here, 10, 15, 20 yards. We're going to squeeze. We're going to get high. We're going to press on the front foot. He doesn't. I don't know whether it's maybe sometimes he wants the easy way out a little bit, or you know, perhaps he's being told to, to sit a little bit deeper so he doesn't see it as his role. Some of the the pitch, but I think to be for him to become the midfield that people think he can become, and for, the, for him to be the person people play to be, he wants to be. Yeah. He's got to start doing that on a more regular basis. He's got to be that person who takes control, charge and leads from the front and show that he's got that ability to be like, I will grab the game by the next, and I will literally take control here and, and move forward we don't see that enough I don't think at the minute we just see flashes and it's you know when when you see it when he get when he gets the ball and he the space that he can actually create around him and move us forward you know you, you see it like you say he doesn't do it enough but sometimes he'll get the ball there's not really too many people around him but he'll just pass it back to the same player who's, who's given the ball and you just think like, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about take the game by the scruff of the neck take control 
you know, and he's got to do that now for me. Yeah. Because I've never, I've never been, well, I have uh, one of the, the angriest I've ever been leaving the ground last night. And, uh, you know, I didn't, the angriest, yeah. I did, well, I didn't really, I didn't really want to react to it or tweet anything or, you know, do any, anything like that because I just thought, I'm, you know, might overreact. But I do think it's, it's definitely up there still with one of the worst things I've seen an Everton player do on a Goodison Park pitch. You know, it's, it's up there with like a, the Morales penalty incident all them years ago. Mm-hmm. I do, I do think it's like a, a sense of arrogance around what what he thought was the right thing to do. But when you, you think when you look at Everton, let's just go on for a quick tangent. It's funny. Penalties are always a big part of the cup at Exeter County. For the last six seasons, Everton been dumped up the League Cup on penalties. Yeah. That's stopped by a guy Buckland, by the way, okay. last night. The ever the, the ever Everton Stato Supremo that he is. We're in five minutes of the. Everton next in the cup come over and told me that one. Um, and also you link back to Roberto Martinez's last season when Everton played Manchester United at Wembley and Everton got a penalty and they had one of the best penalty takers to ever play for him in Lincoln Baines. And for reasons that are still remaining unknown to this day, he gave the ball to the Kaku to take it yeah. and the Kaku missed. And, you know, they say sometimes final small margins, but sometimes it's just not, you know, it's them small moments, isn't it? That make all the difference. And when you look back and think of the, you know, the, the cup exits and stuff over the years, penalties are pretty much a fundamental part of, of where it's gone wrong. Well, so another stat as well, and I don't know if, whether this came from Gab Buckland, but we have got a shock and penalty record. Yeah. Because some park, haven't we? I think we've won one in eight or something like I think that, we've won it? once in, is it, is it once since Bruce back From the 70s. It's from the 70s, we've won one, I think, yeah. Which is quite, I mean, not only not every year, but yeah, it's, well, it's still quite some going, isn't it? Even by Everton's horrific standards yeah, of things. Not great. Like you mentioned there, though, kind of Sean, uh, Sean, small margins. So, you know, Pickford saved one and came agonisingly close to saving at least two. You know, mm-hmm. very, you know, gotten really that he got his answer some of them. And it was certainly the day um, Fulham's last one that won them, I think, was it? I think he got his answer that. And it, like, it was a big hand and it's still, it's still winning. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to confess, I haven't watched the penalty yourself back. No, I haven't. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I couldn't. Um, I've just seen O'Nana's <laughs> penalty miss because it was all over social media when I got home last night. Yeah. Um, but I thought he could have got at least, I thought he could have done better for four. Um, one of the national press I was talking to, he thought he should have got two last night when we were talking about this in the, before the press had started. But I thought he could have got done better before. I think there was four where he certainly got, went the right way and got what appears to be really strong hands on them, yeah. but not enough to keep them out. So I don't know quite what happened, but I thought, yeah, I thought, the only thing that shocked me last night as well with Pickford actually on penalties is I thought he would have, been, he would have took one before he got to where it was. Yeah. I thought because he's quite confident in taking penalties. Yeah. He took one for England a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yes. In, well, he would have had to have carried on. In, in a Nations League type, but I'm quite confident in taking from the spot. And I thought he might have pushed himself forward to take one. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, I just, I just thought, when you get that close, there's always that thing, isn't it? If you get that close and you get that good a hand on it, why didn't you keep it out? And I mean, look, it's not for us to sit here, isn't it? Tell no. Jordan Pickford where he's going wrong as a goalkeeper because, you know, we, we're not fit to lace his gloves or his, or his, fit to lace his boots up his gloves on. But there is just that thing where you think, if you get that close, can you not keep it out? You know what I mean? But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Okay, well, just the last point then, Connor, before we come to an end, we have been chatting for just over 50 minutes now. Uh, but Matt Jones on the pre, was it the, the sorry, it was the post Burnley one, wasn't it? Post Burnley, yeah. post Burnley stroke pre Fulham. <laughs> yeah, he kind of brought up the subject of momentum and kind of said, you know, how Everton have got momentum and how important it is. But he also did mention how fragile momentum is as well. So, um, has our momentum kind of been stopped dead in its tracks? Or I, the... don't, I don't think you can say it's been stopped dead because we only know that on Saturday when we up against Tottenham Hotspur. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yeah. and we see well, well five o'clock isn't it when there is a, when a full time so we'll have gone that's when we'll know momentum stopped there because if we get you know comfortably comfortably beaten there people start going oh, and going like you know what's going on here if they bounce back and get you know as I think a point on Sunday Saturday it's only be a really good result I think if Everton yeah. picks the points I think that'll be solid, a solid point and one of the better ones they'll pick up this season so they get a positive result then momentum hasn't stopped but they just felt that little bit of Legginess about last night didn't need that little bit of kind of fatigue, somewhat setting in a little bit, mm-hmm. and some of the players looking a little bit too tired and a little bit kind of maybe could do with a breather, which they're not going to get moving forward because, like I say, we don't have the biggest squad to, you know, all takes a few more injuries and suspensions to start taking the toll, and we, we are incredibly thin on the ground. So I don't think we can say, you know, momentum's been stopped dead. I think last night is a is a huge blow. Um, 
an opportunity missed, like I've already said. One that'll leave, I think, a few questions as well in terms of, you know, could we have done more, should we have done more, etc. But I do think at the same time, if we get a positive result on Saturday, it was just one of them nights where things didn't go our way. And, you know, we'll just have to carry on the impressive league form and hopefully set our eyes on winning the FA Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds so easy, that doesn't it? it does. <laughs> I mean, you know, and if it is as easy as that, then great. <laughs> well, I mean, this one's going to hurt and smart for a while, but you know, say plenty to be positive I think, still. I think that it'll really hurt tonight if Fulham get Middlesbrough in the, in the semi-final draw. Um, and Liverpool go out as well. Yeah, or Moyes win I at think, Anfield. But I think at the same time, what might soften the blow, and I shouldn't say this because. It sounds bad, but if Fulham get Liverpool, <laughs> then we've probably been spared more Derby, Derby anger and Derby fume, which we've seen over the last few years. So, you know, pros and cons, I think. It's, but yeah, it's, it's going to hurt. And obviously, it's a missed opportunity and, you know, one that, you know, I think fans will feel for a while. But we'll only know really if momentum stops dead. I think if you're ever to come to be beaten on Saturday. Um, but there's still a lot to look forward to, you know, still. You know, there's, there's you know no reason why we can't get up to the table a bit more and, and start putting results together. And you know, the big thing, I mean, a cup run would be great. Don't get me wrong, and I've, I've long harped on about Everton should take things seriously in the League Cup, etc. But I just think you know the big thing for me this season is if we can get to March, April, and we're not nervously looking over our shoulder. Yeah. Every game counts. Having to watch what the teams are doing around us, and certainly not getting into main playing games where we've got to win to stay up. I mean, good lord, if we have to like end next season, I don't know how I'll be feeling, but. So yeah, there's, 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 you know, obviously disappointment, but certainly, certainly still optimism in the air. And I think there's no reason why we can't can continue to to climb the table and put results on the board. Well, are you about on Friday? You're going to bring this no, positivity? I, I'm tomorrow? not about on Friday. I am off tomorrow and Friday. Oh, um, so yeah, someone's working the weekend. It's a little pre-Christmas, <laughs> pre-Christmas off. But yeah, I. Uh, I won't be around, but I'm sure they'll have to be in, you know, joyful mood with this, the festivities close and whatnot. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll have the, the pre-Spears uh, Royal Blue podcast, which will uh, drop up, Friday. Up, up, up this edition. Fingers crossed. Well, I don't know whether I'm going to be on it or whether I'll be producing it or whatever, but yeah, I'm sure the lads... I mean, Gab Buchan hasn't been in for a while, so I'm sure Gab Buchan will be uh, back. Yeah, I think he is around on Friday, Gav, yeah. Okay, fair enough. All right, Connor, thanks for the chat. I've been your host, Ian Kroll, and this has been the Royal Blue podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.